millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ladies and gentlemen, now the moment you've all been waiting for, the world-famous Jackrabbit Slim's Twist Contest. K-Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s continues. You just heard The World as a Ghetto by War and Billy Don't Be a Hero by Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods. And if you're the 12th caller, you'll win two tickets to the monster truck extravaganza being held tonight at the Carson Fairgrounds, featuring Big Daddy Don Bodine's truck, The Behemoth. The day I follow Audrey Hale Clayton on a wet deck, that day I cut my throat. All right, folks. Calm down. Go about your business. These jokers will be gone soon. Now, why y'all want to come into my town and start trouble? Thanks for downloading this Kermit on Film podcast. Now, for this edition, Jack Howard joins us once again. And this is a conversation Jack and I recorded a few weeks ago. As you'll probably know, the new Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is about to open here in the UK. Jack and I got together before either of us had seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to discuss our favourite Tarantino movies so far. We will do a follow-up podcast at some point in the future discussing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but for now, Jack Howard and I on Quentin Tarantino, the story so far. And a word of warning, this episode contains some, well, let's be honest, a lot of strong language. And you will know my name is the Lord! When I lay my vengeance upon thee. Welcome to Kermit on Film, joined again by Jack Howard. Hi, Jack. Welcome Hello back there. to the podcast. Um, the last time we, we spoke, things got quite heated. Um, <laughs> so what we're going to talk about now is uh, our favourite Quentin Tarantino films. We did a kind of favourite Spielberg films before. And th- we're doing this very specifically now because neither you nor I have seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which nope. I keep wanting to call Once Upon a Time in America. And so we're going to do this now. And then after um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes out, we'll regroup and have a kind of, you know, catch up on either side of it. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has played in Cannes. Um, it is opening here. I think it's in August, but there haven't been preview screenings here yet. I heard a story that it was being re-edited. Or that oh, really? Was, well, I don't. I, I have no idea how true this is. So, uh, w- When Once Upon a Time in Hollywood played in Cannes, the one thing that a lot of people said about it was, it's a bit long. And the story that then went around was, yeah, Tarantino's heard that and he's going to put more in it just to annoy everybody. So, <laughs> it's not I, long but, enough. Exactly, it's not, not long enough. So, we're doing top three uh, Tarantinas. How do you want to do this? Do you want to do, you give your, th- your no, third one? No, I think one? we should just talk about okay, it. Okay, fine. Then. So, um, shall we begin with the incontrovertible facts? Mm. Um, Jackie Brown's the best Tarantino movie, head and shoulders <laughs> above everything else. And it's it, the and smart choice. It's the smart choice. Well done. It's a smart choice. And and, and let me explain why. Um, I think that <clears throat> one of the reasons that I 
I get so kind of riled about Tarantino is because I think that on one level he is brilliant. I think that he has done so much through his career that is really arresting and really impressive that I know that he is a you know really talented filmmaker. And therefore, whenever he falls short of the mark, and short is the ironic word there, <laughs> it annoys me because I expect more from him. And I think that... I remember seeing Reservoir Dogs when it first came out, which, bear in mind, was a hit here before it was anywhere else. It was the British response to Reservoir Dogs, and that's why you know Quentin Tarantino ended up doing Shots in the Dark. And I think it was the, the British response to Shots in the Dark that made it great. And playing in Sitches, you know, um, where it was, which was a horror fantasy festival, where it became a, a big cause celeb. I thought it was remarkable. I remember seeing Pulp Fiction and thinking, okay, well, this, the, the the scope is so much bigger. Um, I don't know whether it has the stripped down uh, grit of Reservoir Dogs, but I like so much about the storytelling. And then it all starting to fall apart. Suddenly he had his finger in too many pies. Suddenly he seemed to be ill-disciplined. And then, I, and then Jackie Brown was like, oh, okay, fine. This is the film that demonstrates that you know what a really good film looks like and you know what a really good you know, series of character arcs look like. And the key thing is that it's not a film in which everybody talks like Quentin Tarantino. It's a film in which each individual character has their own voice, and I would hold that that's because it comes from a source material that has its own life and DNA that you feel all the way through the film. However, Jackie Brown did not do well at the box office. Jackie Brown was yeah, a it was dis- one of those films where they, if you ask people, like, so, what's your favourite Quentin Tarantino film, and they'll mention whatever, have you, you can ask, do you, have you seen Jackie Brown? And they'll yeah. go, no, I've not. I've, yeah. What's that one? It, and they won't even know that no. it's, and after, it's sort of on, what's the one that he did, Death Race? Uh, no, uh, uh, Death Proof. Death Proof. Death Proof, yeah, which of course was... Like, po- and I haven't even seen that, and it feels like Jackie Brown fits in with that in terms of like the amount of audience that have seen it. Yeah, but hang on. Not, in terms, was, of it, not I, in terms of Death Proof being Because I, I but, you actually, bef- you can carry on, but I, I completely agree with you. I okay. think that Quentin Tarantino made Jackie Brown the least Tarantino-y. Like, it feels like he's stepped back and gone, that, that's a film and I'm not going to go, hey, uh, you like that? I'm making a movie. Yeah. yeah although, and I like making movies. Although, <laughs> arguably, it's the most Tarantino because it's the one in which he is, which the filmmaking is the best. It's the one in which he's, because he is, you know, he's a real cineast. He has you know, an incredible knowledge of and collection of films and film music and all that stuff. You know, you know that he's a, and that's why I think at the beginning we all embraced him so much. I remember really clearly interviewing Wes Craven about, do you know about the story about Reservoir Dogs playing at Sitches? No. Okay, so. Reservoir Dogs was made for there is a, there's another Tarantino film before that little thing that nobody ever saw but then Reservoir Dogs is made it's a you know it's a great cast and really good script but it's it it really finds its feet because it plays in sitches where it's a, you know it's a it's a big sensation and uh, and it's here in the UK that it kind of you know it, it began, but in sitches when it played um Wes Craven who was the director of Nightmare on Elm Street before that was the director of Last House on the Left mm. walked out and this was of Reservoir Dogs. He walked out during the scene in which you don't see the ear getting cut off. Right. Okay. And it was a really big scandal because Tarantino said, and I remember I interviewed him at the time because at the time he was, it was like when Peter Jackson made bad taste. I mean, he would talk to everybody because mm-hmm. that was what he, you know, he was really enthusiastic. And, um, and he said, I was sitting in sitches and I thought the guy who made Last House on the Left just walked out of my film. And what Craven said was, um, 
I felt that that it was just enjoying the violence. It was it was it was sadistic and it was it was taking pleasure in the violence. And he walked out. Now Craven, to his credit, sometime later said, "I th- I misjudged it. I think it was it was a bad call." And if you've ever seen Last House on the Left, which is one of the nastiest films ever, I, mean, I think Last House on the Left has a validity because it's so extreme, it's so intense, and because it was such a sort of cause cause celeb. But the idea that the guy that made Last House on the Left walked out of your film. And where some, it pans away. Where it pans away, exactly, <laughs> when you don't even see yeah. the thing that's happening. But his whole point was, it's taking pleasure in it. Now, what what I think we all really loved at the time was, it was a film that was taking pleasure in cinema. It wasn't taking pleasure in the violence. It was taking pleasure in the cinematic form of swearing and guns. And it was we hadn't heard dialogue like that before. Mm-hmm. We hadn't seen a film. I mean, obviously, the, the, the kind of the, the construction of it, which is something he, he, he likes doing that kind of Rubik's Cube constructions. You know, you, it's, it's a heist movie in which you don't see the heist. Mm-hmm. You see the, the aftermath and you see the setup and you see everything else. But also, and that's definitely him sitting in a room going, wouldn't it be cool if you, if you made an art? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And wouldn't it be cool if it ends up with City on Fire? You know, all that sort of stuff. But I, it was really sharp and really, really stripped down. And then we all bought the soundtrack album, which had dialogue on it that was like a pop track. So there'd be the thing about the, you know, cut of his finger. That would be like a, a riff that would be like a song. And the same with Pulp Fiction. The speeches were like, and, and it was like the whole package was all, you know, was all put together. It was really, really exciting because you felt he was somebody who loved cinema, who loved the movies in the same way that you, that we loved the movies. He was a fan who actually had the talent to be a great filmmaker. And I, re- I, st- I always remember that spark. I always remember that thing. And that's, I think, why everything that disappointed me afterwards always came, it was always a bitter, a real bitter pill. You know, and then you get Kill Bill, which just goes on and on and expands into two movies because, crucially, he doesn't have a producer standing over him with a big stick saying, Quentin, 98 minutes and out. And the reason for that is that... Reservoir Dogs was described by Harvey Weinstein as um, the film that you know that, that put his company on the map. So he said, Weinstein said um, uh, that Miramax was the house that Quentin built, yes, and and the Weinstein company was the house that Quentin rebuilt. And once you once you're in that position, you no Do longer you don't have the Roger Corman thing of I don't care. I don't care who you're influenced by or what you like. It's 89 minutes and it has to have an exploding helicopter and a scene in a strip club and no, you can't have more than a million dollars. <laughs> and and I, you know, I, 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 I look at the Tarantino films and I look at... I look at all those great filmmakers that came through the Roger Corman stable, you know, all those people like Coppola and, you know, who learnt their trade working with, with Corman. And Corman's whole ethos was you get people who want to be the greatest art house filmmaker in the world and you make them make carnosaur and that's that's how it works and i mean i remember this the talking to adam simon who actually did make carnosaur and adam simon made a brilliant documentary called an american nightmare which was about wes craven last house on the left texas chainsaw massacre everything between night of the living dead up to halloween and he he 
told this brilliant story about working with with Roger Corman, which is that you know he he was influenced by you know the French New Wave and uh, and German Expressionism and all this stuff. And Roger Corman said, "Great, you need to make Carnosaur." And he said, oh, "I want to make you know I want to make you know." And uh, and he went back to his partner and he said, "Roger Corman wants me to make Carnosaur." And she said, "You have to do it." And he said, "Why?" He said, "Because otherwise you'll end up making Carnosaur too." Mm-hmm. And Roger Corman said, "You have to make it. It's a dinosaur movie, and you have to make it for half a million dollars." Just after Jurassic Park came out. Oh uh, yeah, it's it's you know it's. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "He said you have to make it for half a million dollars." And Adam Simon said, "You can't make a dinosaur movie for half a million dollars." And Cormac said, "Yeah, you can. That's what you have to do." And so Adam Simon went away and made Carnosaur for half a million dollars, and then he showed it to Roger Corman. And there's no dinosaur in it. And Roger Corman went, "Where's the fucking dinosaur?" And Adam Simon went, "Exactly. Now pay for the dinosaur." <laughs> and I kind of feel that Quentin Tarantino's movies would have been infinitely improved had he had Roger Corman not paying for the dinosaur. The Earth was not made for us. She was made for the dinosaurs. The Earth was scaled to their dimensions. Human beings are ants crawling through their living rooms. That's that's really fabulous. I think that a lot of filmmakers tend to do better when they've got restrictions or they're put in some sort of box. Yes. Because um, when you're given too much freedom, I think that you just... You get, like, The Hateful Eight, which is, I'm going to have an intermission in it, and then when we come back, I'm going to have me, <laughs> the director, say, when we last saw our characters, they were here. I'm like, what is going on? And it becomes... Um, Self-serving. Yeah. It becomes, like, you know, a, a bit sort of... A bit wanky. Him just sort of pleasing only himself and hoping that other people will go oh that's just that's just Quentin uh, and I completely agree I, I actually really like the Kill Bill movies I think that they work really nicely as because as, it's very comic booky as well but it feels like uh, a, a nice big experience I only watched them semi-recently actually because I didn't I tried watching the first one when I was younger when everyone really liked it when I was a teenager and I just didn't I wasn't into it it was it was weird because it was the same as watching um uh Oh my god, what's it called? The movie that's in black and white that's comic book, Frank Miller. Oh, Sin City. Yeah, when Sin Which City. Which of course came Tarantino out. did direct yeah. part of, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Sin City came out, me and my friends were like, don't want to see that, it's in black and white, don't get it. Like, <laughs> really? it, it was, yeah, it was, it was weird. It was like, it was, you know, being this sort of uh, immature uh, young boy, I wanted to just see Transformers. And then something like uh, Sin City is made, and it's this weird, out there, stylistic movie that. I wasn't sure what it was. And I think that Kill Bill felt similar. Okay. That I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, but I've since really, really enjoyed it. And I can enjoy some of Tarantino's indulgences. Like, I actually think Inglorious Bastards is in my list of, like, favourite Tarantino movies. There are sequences in Inglorious yeah, Bastards that, that, are amongst the, that are amongst the best thing he's done. Yeah, and like, I think that's why, because, like... And I did a, I did a whole video on my YouTube channel actually about Inglorious Bastards uh, doing the, the during the pub scene okay. and about how he uses tension and about how he uses language to create tension and about it, it basically is made for an English speaking audience because the the how if you can speak German the idea of that scene with Mike, uh, with Michael Fassbender where he's pretending to be a German soldier changes totally because if you can understand that his German accent is strange you're 
you can you're off the entire time. Whereas, but you know that Fassbender was originally yeah. he was up for the for the for the, for the, for the other role. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Which would have been a very different a very very different film, I yeah, think. Totally. Yeah. But I'm kind of fascinated by what that different film would have been. But but but, th- but then at the beginning of that sequence, the, the scene before it or whatever is him talking to Mike Myers doing basically Austin Powers mm. in, in a moustache. <laughs> doing Mike Myers. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, the, uh, the, the Americans call them the bastards. And it's like, what is this bit? After you've just had, you know, the beginning of the seat of the film, which is maybe the best thing he's ever made. If a rat were to walk in here right now as I'm talking, would you greet it with a source of your delicious milk? Probably not. I didn't think so. You don't like them. You don't really know why you don't like them. All you know is you find them repulsive. Consequently, a German soldier conducts a search of a house suspected of hiding Jews. Where does the hawk look? He looks in the barn, he looks in the attic, he looks in the cellar, he looks everywhere he would hide. But there's so many places it wouldn't have occurred to a hawk to hide. However, the reason the Führers brought me off my Alps in Austria and placed me in French cow country today is because it does occur to me. Because I'm aware of what tremendous feats human beings are capable of once they abandon dignity. Just spectacular everything. Writing, performance. Brilliant storytelling, it's... absolutely, you know, stripped down completely. Yep. And and again, it's like... Patient, it's brilliant. Yeah, and but it's like it reminds you of Reservoir Dogs, which is basically a bunch of people in a warehouse. Yeah. And, and you actually remember Reservoir Dogs, like I, I you know, I, I see, I, I do, and I, I think a lot of other people would as well. If you remember Reservoir Dogs, you got it's the one that takes place entirely in the warehouse. Yeah, although and it's it, not. No, it doesn't at all. No, it's really all over the place. Yeah. Well, it yeah. famously starts in the coffee shop, but yeah. but but of course, the other thing about uh, about the the Reservoir Dogs thing is that Reservoir Dogs is a film that implies a length that it doesn't have because when you watch it you're surprised by how by Isn't how it fast minutes? it's over 98 i think yeah, it is but yeah, you know yeah. it's it's the, the shortest reservoir dogs also has the key tarantino scene in it about learning the story to tell the story learning the, the little details of the story about you know how it and it's basically tarantino talking about how it is that you tell stories and that is then repeated in pulp fiction let's get into character when you yeah. actually see two characters get into character and i love that and i kind of that's the point which i think this is great because you you are all about story and narrative and then it starts it starts to sort of unravel. And there's a period when suddenly he's doing things like four rooms, which is just, you know, all over the place. I mean, literally all over the place. And he's cameoing in films as a film in which he in which he turns up and he does he, he does the, the cameo when he's at the party and he does the whole story about Top Gun. Yeah. In which is literally Tarantino, you know, Thank you very much. And and then, Play off, guy. <laughs> but then Jackie Brown is like the kind of pulling yeah. it all together. Okay, fine, I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a proper grow grown up mm-hmm. grown up as in adult but no, grown up as in and it and it misses and what what i think st- astonishes me is this all the people who liked the tarantino movies up until then what didn't they like about Jackie Brown? Mm-hmm. What was it that you didn't see coming Jackie Brown is the culmination of that storytelling that story is character you know that's what it is the whole thing about you know, the beginning, watching her character, knowing her character, understanding what her character is about and the world in which her character moves, not in a pastiche way, not meaning it's not fun because there's a lot of things in it that are fun. Although I don't know whether, I don't know whether you, you remember, but the, but the trailer for Jackie Brown 
was literally the the scene, the the, the selling the gun. You know, if, when you absolutely positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room, you go, that's the trailer for Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. That that's the one scene in Jackie Brown that looks like it came from another film, and yet that was the thing that they were trying. So I think that even before Jackie Brown came out, they were nervous. <clears throat> but I'm but. Like, you know, what, what, what is she to you? You know, she just one of the bitches I got set up. I got mail over in Hermosa Beach, and I rent this little place for Simone over in Compton, where you staying. Mm-hmm. And about four blocks away, I got this young 19-year-old country girl named Sharonda. I found her on a bus stop two days out of Georgia, barefoot, country as a chicken coop. Took her to my place in Compton, told her it was Hollywood. You told <laughs> she believed you? Hell yeah. <laughs> that dumb country ass Compton is Hollywood. Closest she ever been anyway. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I think that the, the, I don't want to say the word failing, but I think the, the least Tarantino-y thing about Jackie Brown is that there isn't something in it specifically that stands out as an individual thing that you can go, that's the you got to wait for that scene. Okay. Like, I think that Inglorious Bastards has a few, mm-hmm. and that's why it sort of stands out in people's minds that, like, there's, there's a few moments in it yeah. that, like, really leave a good taste in your mouth, and then you sort of let the other stuff fall away a little bit, and then when you're reminded of it, like, I really, really hate in Inglorious Bastards when they introduce... Um, uh, uh, Hugo Stiglitz mm. and it goes <laughs> and it like freeze frames on him with a with a title card and then it goes back and it's like what is this you are not making this film this is not the film you, you, you've you introduced me to and now all of a sudden you, you're just you're just doing this because you think it would be cool yeah. and that's the parody of yeah, Tarantino cool, cool is the that's thing that's it I, cool is the thing that I hate that's like the film the film teacher but, the, the, the lecturer would be like don't be like Tarantino. He does things because they're cool. He doesn't do things because they've got intents. He doesn't do things for story. He does things because he thinks it'll just be cool. But the, I'll move the camera around. It'd be awesome. But the worst example of that is, you say you haven't seen Death Proof, right? I haven't okay. seen Death Proof. So Death Proof is part of a larger project, which is Grindhouse, okay? Mm-hmm. And Grindhouse is, for me, the sort of the, 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 the absolute nadir of Tarantino just descending up. He is literally at that point like somebody who says, oh, come back to my room. I got some records. Oh, look at yeah. this. You know? And um, the whole thing about Death about Grindhouse is for where if you were interested in that kind of you know exploitation cinema, we keep coming back to Wes Craven and Last House on the Left, but it's interesting how much that's in the back of all this. The idea of pouring over it, and I mean, I know he's the same with the Shaw Brothers and everything, but the idea of kind of just, just isn't it cool? Isn't it cool? Like, yeah, it is cool, Quentin, but you know, that's really just this kind of. That's just one layer. Yeah. Plus, the thing with Death Proof is, it's, 
I think it's a, because it's a, it's it's the extended version that's in Grindhouse, and I I saw it, and there's a bit in the middle of Death Proof when they use the a cue from Cruising, and this is one of the things that Tarantino does that bothers me. It's like in um in Glorious Bosses when we get putting out fire with gasoline, which mm-hmm. of course is the Bowie theme from the Schrader version of Cat People, and I, I'm going. What? Mm-hmm. Why? Why are you, you, you? Now I know it's because he likes that bit. Or in um, Hateful Eight, when there's the slow motion of the horses going through the snow and the carriage, and suddenly we hear the floating theme from Exorcist to the Heretic, and and that's the score for which Morricone won won the Oscar. And that jukebox thing bothers me when you're doing it with with, with movies. You're taking a piece of. I mean, I know other movies have done it. I know the artist kind of got. Yeah, Tarantino is pretty famous yes, for it. he is famous for it, but but. It weirdly seems to me like a kind of... It's the moment in which he's almost stopping looking at the movie and is showing you his record collection. And it's got... That's what I mean about Jackie Brown. He's not going like, look at me. Yeah, exactly. I'm making a thing. He's just made the thing and he's gone, there's the story, there's the characters. Uh, And I I agree, I think it is. And the the other thing is that the the most Quentin shut up moment is... (laughs) Uh, Django when Quentin Tarantino turns up as an Australian the, the, oh, is is it Australian I think he is what on earth is that voice I don't know but there's a, there's the movie right and it's pretty good you know yeah. it's got some nasty things and thing, and then it finishes oh no it hasn't finished there's a whole other section that's got Quentin Tarantino in it I said a white boy shut up black you ain't got nothing to say I want to hear how'd you like to make eleven thousand dollars you win that I said how'd you like to make eleven thousand dollars Eleven thousand five hundred, actually. The fuck are you talking about? Back there at that plantation, Candyland, there was eleven thousand five hundred dollar fortune just sitting there, and y'all rode right past it. You be damn blacky, we're not bandits. I ain't saying that. Nice thing about this fortune is, it ain't illegal. You can't steal it. You got to earn it, white boy. You got something to say, mate? You say it. If you were Roger Corman, you'd go. Dunk. You just cut the end of you just mm. literally cut the end of the film off. And I go, think that, that, that Django Unchained is a really interesting one because it feels like the one he made after Inglorious Bastards. Mm. It feels like I'm going to do a similar vibe to that, and it has. It's got like the really brilliant pub scene, um, which it feels on par to something from Inglorious Bastards because of just its patience, where he explains what a bounty hunter is. Yep. And it's not really, there's not really anything from it that's like tense or anything like that. It's just a scene where he's like making a beer and talking to him. And it, it's just really pleasant to watch. Mm-hmm. And then there's the scene, obviously, with Leonardo DiCaprio. There's a couple of scenes with Leonardo DiCaprio that are pretty mesmerizing to watch. And there's the really famous thing where he like smashed the glass yeah. and cut his own hand and, and carries on. on yeah. Um, and that's brilliant, obviously. But And it's the same type of thing where you go, oh, there's bits in that that are really great. But I've never felt the need to watch Django Unchained again. Because it, it, like, I don't know why. I've only ever watched the bits from it. But well, I'll I tell you, my, m- one of my reasons, I think Tarantino doesn't do himself any favours in interviews. And the thing that I remember was he was on uh, Channel 4 News. Yes. And he was he was challenged. I shut your butt down, that one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and here's the thing that's annoying about that. Firstly, he said, you know, my movie has put slavery on the agenda. People weren't talking about slavery before my movie to which the answer is i think they were not you know not i'm pretty certain that there has been conversation about slavery before django unchained and the second thing was he was on the news right so he had done this thing about my film is a news story but i will refuse to answer questions about it as if it's a news story to which the answer is quentin if you want to talk about it as a piece of filmmaking you want to do coyote cinema site and sound blah blah blah, do that if you're on the news people will ask you questions that are news stories because it's the news and it was that kind of 
that that arrogance about I'm shutting this down, you know, I refute, and, and we saw some of that, and I haven't yet seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we saw some of that at the press conference in which he was asked a question about one of his lead female characters not having much, much to, to say, yeah. or much to say, not right. much to do. And there's a perfectly good art, I mean, I think it's perfectly possible for a character to have a great presence in a movie without speaking, because I'm somebody who thinks show don't tell is the key to it. But watching the press conference and him going, oh, well, I, I just, you know, I refuse to answer your question. You think he just said, I don't agree. I don't agree with your it statement or something like yeah, that? Or I, yeah, I, I don't agree with your thesis or yes, something like that. Yeah, or I dismiss your thesis. And, and again, it's that weird thing about you have to, or at least I have to, d- take away the annoyance of Quentin Tarantino's mm. public persona mm. and watch the films for what they are. And I, and I, I, I have tried, I think, to do that. It's obviously it's quite difficult because he's such a big presence that so much of what you're buying into is the Tarantino mythology, and I said I remember interviewing him around the time of Reservoir Dogs and around the time of Pulp Fiction, and he was fantastic company, not least because he talked twenty to the dozen, and he'd seen I'll say he has seen more films than I will ever see, yeah. and he knows more about obscure cult movies than I will ever know. But I think sometimes when he and Eli Roth get together and just do that, yeah, oh yeah, it's yeah. great, you know, and they are Beavis and Butthead, and it's not that you know that's not that. But the thing that bothers me is so much talent, so much potential. Stop just doing the fanboy thing because you can do better. Now, it is entirely possible. I don't know. It's entirely possible that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will do that. Although I have to say that when I heard that Quentin Tarantino was making a film that involved the Manson murders, (laughs) the the heaviness of my heart became even heavier. And I don't know whether it does. And there's a whole lot of stuff about whether, you know, how much it's to do. So I'd be very interested to talk to you after that. But for me, top three, top three Tarantino movies. um, Absolutely Jackie Brown, number one. Absolutely, Reservoir Dogs number two, and absolutely Pulp Fiction number three. I think that's an absolutely brilliant list. I, th- I don't think I can really disagree with it. Um, I, I have my personal preferences. I, I, I will add to what you just said as well that I think that something that I struggle with with Tarantino is you know, the self-serving stuff, but also the arrogance that I can sort of like feel like through the screen. Like to do with the Manson family thing. Like I said, we don't know, but it feels like he's going to change history again for the purpose of the film. But we don't know. But we don't know. But, like, he changed history in Inglorious Bastards and had Hitler get shot in the face, which was just, like, fist-pumping, sort of like, yeah, fuck it, why not? Let's kill Hitler. Um, Which is just brilliant. But then I'm like, oh, you're going to just take that same idea again? We don't know. But, like, just the rumours are that he changes history somewhat. Um, And it almost feels like he's like, yeah, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be me. I can do that. I can change history. Like, and it's like, uh, come on, man. Okay, what's your, um, what, anyway. what's, what's your favourite Tarantino sequence? I think it probably is the Jew Hunter um, from the, the opening sequence okay. of Inglorious Bastards, followed very quickly, I think, by the, the pub scene in Inglorious Bastards. Okay. My, um, my, my favourite Tarantino sequence is the bit in Pulp Fiction when Bruce Willis comes into the store and he has to decide which weapon to use. And it's like he's, de- so funny. he's deciding which character to be. Yes. And I bring that back to, you know, the, let's get into character being, being the thing and all the stuff in Reservoir Dogs about learning the story, learning the, the narrative. That moment, because again, it's a show don't tell thing. It's a brilliantly concise, I'm choosing which version of this character it's, I'm it's going also to play. Like- 
and it's, it's funny. It's also just like just getting bigger each <laughs> know, time. Yeah. It's just, it's just like this. yeah, but it, but it's going through genres. It's yeah. going through which which, which one of, which, which one are we going to do? Which one of these yeah. exactly? Yeah. And I love it because it's it is self-referential and self-reflexive and playful. Because every but it's time also... you pick up a, a, up a, a weapon, you play through what's about yeah, to happen yeah. in your own head. Yeah. You go, oh, oh, we're in that film. He's oh no, bash his head. no, he's not. No, he's in that film. No, he's in the other film. And that, and again, when you can do that, because that sequence isn't very long, when you can do that, it's why then do you have Mike Myers turning up in the middle of yeah. doing that thing you know yeah you, and, and, and it's it's like okay fine i'll let you have i'll let you have mike myers in rocket man yeah right? sure. but uh, in, uh, bohemian in rhapsody. I, I, sorry, i'll let you have mike myers in bohemian rhapsody because it's funny but, I, but why yeah. why is it why, it's the tonal shifts within his own movies yeah. that he's like he's like teaching you this is the thing as well like I really love when Christopher Macquarie Christopher Macquarie talks about teaching you a language mm. and even even Christopher Nolan does this as well that he teaches you a language like an inception when he's teaching you that dreams are like films yeah. that like he's when he says in inception to Ariadne how did we get here and she's like oh, we're, we're dreaming we're also as the audience going oh oh yeah I didn't really question why we're in this location now and he's teaching you that language so that he can play with it yeah. Tarantino does a similar thing but then just goes uh, no I'm going to do this thing actually now like, and it doesn't feel like there's any coherency or consistency mm. to some of his later movies so um, can I just say also yeah go on best scene in Hateful Eight is the playing the playing the song on the guitar because that is abs- that is so brilliant because that reminds me of things like um, the Fair and Tender Lady sequence from Winter's Bone because it's really threatening. It's really what, uh, what you know, uh, and it's. I think, and those flashes, those flashes are enough to yeah. make you go, "Oh, please do this. Yeah. Please do this, not the other stuff." Because I, I hateful eight left me with a sort of bad taste in my mouth because the, the sort of the the conclusion of all of it, where like Channing Tatum turns up, and it all just feels like a bit like a sketch. It feels yeah. just a bit like madness. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't feel like it. I don't. I can't really remember it much. No, and also you've been there for a long time. Yeah, it's like but three hours, isn't it? It, it, it? it felt like a day. I mean, you know, it's like you start watching it and then I've it's... still got to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. So, but so, but when you can do that, con- when you can do that conciseness, when you can do that using the idea of music and smashing the guitar, which is the famous story about. You know, it really was a proper guitar that he smashed, and they now reconstructed it, and it's a, you know all that stuff. Is great all that, and so when you can do that, and why can you not do it? Yeah, and it feels like as well, like with the hateful eight, he made a really big deal about the fact that I'm using these really old lenses. Like, okay, sure, (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's great, but why is that one of the main things you're talking about? Um, Yeah, but that's like the scratches on the records, isn't it? mm. You know, I use my own record collection because they've got my scratches on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, whatever does it for you, man. That's great. That's great. Um, but then I, you see, I mean, I'm guilty that I'm guilty of playing people things on vinyl and saying, "Doesn't it sound better?" And the answer is, no. But you know. So I, I think that it's sort of difficult to pick them because I, in Pulp Fiction as well is we haven't really spoken about it that much. I think that the sort of first hour or so of Pulp Fiction is like experiencing a dream, mm-hmm. like. If you're just sitting in the dark watching Pulp Fiction, it just guides you through this this world with such elegance and such simplicity in such a complicated like back and forth story. Yeah. That and the things they're talking about and just watching the conversations, like the bit where 
you're introduced to Uma Thurman and like they're having a conversation in the diner and stuff. It's just like, just I don't know. It's just the texture of it. I don't, it's just something. Pop fiction is also really got one, engaging. One of the most alarming casual deaths I've ever seen in a movie. That bit when they're in the car and they accidentally. Sh- yeah. Oh, I just oh, I shot him in the face. But, but, it's, <laughs> but I'm, I mean, I genuinely yeah. jumped at that because yeah. it's it's so horrible. Yeah. And then it's you know it's surrounded, but it's so absolutely horrible and yeah. and and out of nowhere. It's and I I really love that, and I I want that kind of surprise back again. Yeah, I want those. The thing things. that I don't like about Pulp Fiction is I'm mostly I'm mostly I've got to got used to it, but I think Bruce Willis's story yeah. outstays its welcome. Okay, I think that it should have been cut down i really hate his girlfriend in it i think she's so annoying and like i know that's kind of the point that she's a bit useless yeah i want a pot belly and and like oh jesus shut up like shut up like i really really dead baby Um, you can still do that yeah yeah that's great and like you're right you're right the the whole bit when he's picking the weapons is great but like the bit in the taxi when it's clearly like like I, I, it's what, not when he walks across the street. But like he gets in the taxi and it's a French, oh yeah, 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 yeah French yeah, driver, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're clearly like in an old sort of yeah. But that's like he's in a, in a <coughs> that's a throw. That's a deliberate throwback. Yeah, but that, the rest of the film doesn't feel like that. The rest oh, of the film okay. feels really like real. And they're, whenever they're driving, they're really driving. And yeah, but that's okay because that's to do with you know it's just it's which story are you telling? Totally. Which story are you? In? And, I, and I, for some reason, I just don't like it. I just okay. don't buy it because it doesn't feel like the rest of the movie. Um, so like, and I just heard just being like boot. And and, yeah, no, like, yeah, yeah, and and it's just like this is taking yeah. ages. I, I want to get back to the thing that I'm you get the more interested in. Watch the watch. Yeah, yeah. Blast. That bit's incredible. That bit's such a you beautiful Eddie is, scene. Eddie Izzard doing that. Yeah. The watch. My grandfather did a watch up his ass until <laughs> till he finally died of watch in ass. <laughs> <laughs> He keeps it to the kitchen. Don't lick it. <laughs> you see, that sequence is like genius, isn't it? Yeah, and and it it's is. like the sequence in True Romance, which I know isn't a Tarantino movie. But he but wrote it. Kind of, but yeah, exactly. So it is a Tarantino movie. And actually, for, uh, for a long time... by Tony Scott, right? Yeah, and for a long time, there was an argument about, did Tony Scott make the best Quentin Tarantino yeah, yeah, movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. The sequence in that film with him and, and Dennis Hopper, I know it's, you know it's overly quoted and all the rest of it, but it is really good it's really really good and actually Tony Scott was the right person to direct that film I know the end's all wrong and it, therefore it doesn't match up with the Marvel universe of the <laughs> Tarantino movies because he should be dead and blah 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 but that sequence is like and I remember seeing that and a lot of people saying that's the best Quentin Tarantino movie that Quentin ever made yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know Sicilians are great liars best in the world I'm Sicilian. My father was the world heavyweight champion of Sicilian liars. From growing up with him, I learned the pantomime. There are 17 different things a guy can do when he lies to give himself away. Guy's got 17 pantomimes. Woman's got 20, guy's got 17. But if you know them, like you know your own face, they'd be lie detectors all to hell. Now, what we got here it's a little game of show and tell. You don't want to show me nothing, but you tell me everything. I know you know where they are, so tell me. Before I do some damage, you won't walk away from. Could I uh, <clears throat> have one of those Chesterfields now? Sure. You've got a... 
match. Oh, wait, no, no, I don't bother, I got one. Is it true that he sold that script so he could make Reservoir Dogs? That's the story that's, right. that, that, that's said, you know. Yeah, right, but, right, you know, right. but I mean, how much any... The mythology around, you know, the Tarantino stuff, you know, one minute he was working in a video store, the next minute he was winning the Palm Door, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. There's a, they're, 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 and I actually quite like that self-mythologising thing. Mm. I, I quite, but I remember I just, seeing him in an interview once where somebody was like, it was like a panel and a huge audience, like a Comic-Con type thing, yeah. and somebody got up to the mic and said... I'm a I'm a young filmmaker and I was just wants to know any advice that you have. You know, it's quite a general question. Yeah. Uh, and Quentin just went right Reservoir Dogs. He was like, I'm not kidding. That was a fucking great movie. <laughs> uh, and it's like that's not really advice. It's like you're saying write something really good and find your Harvey Weinstein who's going to trust you to 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 make that. Um, Somebody once asked Sean Connery, you know, Mr. Connery, what what advice would you give to an up and coming actor? And Sean Connery said, "Get a lawyer," and everyone <laughs> laughed. And he went, "Yeah, but really." And Sean Connery went, "No, get a lawyer." <laughs> that yeah. was, you know, that was yeah. his advice. Okay, so because we need to bring this to a close, so my top three, as I said, uh, Jackie Brown, absolutely number one, Pulp Fiction, uh, Reservoir Dogs, number two, Pulp Fiction, number three for you. I think it's difficult. I don't know if I can put them in any, any order. I'm going to be a bit of a cop out. No, you have to. <sighs> Okay. I had to. How come you suddenly don't have to? <laughs> <laughs> so I have to do the nonsense of a list, but you're all right. Right, okay, fine. Right. Um, I think my personal favourite one to watch is probably Inglorious Bastards. Okay. And then I think I would say Pulp Fiction and then probably Jackie Brown. Okay. But it's it's it would swap it would t- constantly swap around. Reservoir Dogs would definitely get in there sometimes, but I don't know. I, th- I think you're right. I, I Jackie Brown is the smart choice. It is the smart choice, and it, it is like it is the film that I would tell people to if they haven't seen it. Yeah. You should watch yeah. Jackie Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that that's yeah. Being Jackie I'm Brown just... when he has to explain to to um, to Robert De Niro how it, it, it works because he's even been in prison, so he's yeah. never seen it before. Yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah. Got, it, it, it's just it's just a lovely little yeah. scene. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I forget that Robert De Niro is in it as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's so good and it's. Sam Jackson being Sam Jackson, but like more threatening than I think I've ever seen him yeah, in any other yeah. film. Like and, and, and the whole thing in the shop store, seeing it from three different, you know, the whole Rashomon version of it, and with the, you know, with that, I, th- I mean, I just think it's you go, that's you know, you just want to stand up and applaud and mm. go, yeah, well done. Isn't the, the one take as well of the of the car driving. Like he, he he tells him he's taking him somewhere. Oh yeah 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 yeah. And you just see him get parked somewhere, and then yeah. you just you just see from a wide shot him opening his boot, and you just hear. Chris Tucker be Chris Tucker as he shoots him in the face. <laughs> so, it's so great. Um, but yeah, I think that Pulp Fiction just just gets it just because I think that that first hour or so, and it's all really br- pretty brilliant. I only have my own personal nitpicks with it, but it's just that feels like I'm watching a dream yeah, more, yeah. more than any other. And I think that that's just, to create that effect is like it's pretty masterful yeah. uh, but I agree as well that like it's frustrating and I could see when you were talking about it I could see how frustrated you were with him because you were like I know that you've got an actual masterpiece in yes. you but you're so <laughs> indulgent and you have nobody telling you to, to, to rein stop. it in yeah. it's almost like he's the genius version of someone like George Lucas who doesn't have a clue about yeah. story and character and made the prequels <laughs> and no one was telling him stop it um, but uh, Quentin Tarantino is brilliant yeah. and can make stuff that's great, but I, yeah, the fact that he might be making Once Upon a Time in Hollywood longer yeah. that may not be true. <laughs> but it was. But here's what's what's important: is everyone thought it was true because yeah. you you kind of go, 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Jack, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a pleasure, and I'll see you at the next one. If there's any other directors that you want us to talk about, please let us know on well, Twitter we could, and that. We could do Friedkin. Who? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next time we're together will be after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has come out. So I'm very keen to uh, to see how we how we kind of assess or reassess Tarantino after we've both seen that It'll film. It'll be a full spoiler smash, so make sure you've seen it before it you listen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, you know, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? it? It's impossible to talk about a Tarantino film without spoilers because many of them start with the with the end anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, Pulp Fiction literally starts with the, you know, if every any one of you move, I'll execute every... It's like, that is the end yeah. of the film. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this Kermit on Film podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jack Howard. As we said, we'll be getting together again for another discussion about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood sometime in the future. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.